Yes. Amen. Wow. What a powerful, positive affirmation today. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Woo, that was good. Loved it. Excellent. Oh, we need those kind of positive messages. And just let that soak for a minute, marinate. Uh, let it impact your spirit a little bit. We trust in the Lord our God. I know you enjoyed the anthem. I had a special treat. I was sitting next to Janice, and sometimes she kind of gets going, and about halfway through, she's going, Yes! It was great. And then, Yeah! And uh, it's that great. We can live in this powerful place of trust and in fact that's the question for the day for the month of July we've been looking at life questions the kind of questions that determine the spirit and the quality of our lives and today's question is will I trust kind of hold that question in your heart a little bit with the understanding that sometimes it's more difficult to trust than others and one of the times that it's a little bit difficult to trust is when you're the new kid on the block and some of you are here today for the first time, so maybe you're feeling a little bit like the new one on the block, and maybe you're kind of like, oh, I don't know, I kind of like this, I don't like that. Why do they do that? What's up with this? There's always that sense of newness when you're in a new place. And I found myself thinking back to when I was 12 years old, and we moved from the small rural town of Denaire, California, to Sacramento. In Denaire, I had a small group of friends, we'd kind of grown up together, we were in a very small school, everybody knew everybody. In fact, everybody knew everybody's grandmother and great-grandmother and all their relatives. It was one of those kind of towns. And I was uprooted from this town where everyone knew everybody to an inner city school in Sacramento. I went from a school of less than 100 students to a school of over 1,500. And things were a little bit different. For example, in Denaire, we all wore green gym suits, green t-shirts, green shorts. I mean, we really celebrated green in Denaire. So I was so proud when I got up to Sacramento to the junior high I was going to, and of course gym class came along, and I walked in with my bright green gym suit, and guess what the color scheme was in Sacramento? Gray. Now, the first day, we played this game called Slaughter Bell. It was in the gym, and the way the game worked, you had lines on each side, and they had about 15 volleyballs that were partially deflated. And the idea was that one team would throw the slaughter ball at the other team, and if you got hit by the ball, you were out. If you caught the ball, the person throwing the ball was out. Well, I happened to be on the team where we didn't have the balls. The other team had all the 15 balls. So we had to get ready to have these balls come flying at us. And then what happened was the coach blew the whistle and somebody yelled out, get the guy in the green. <laughs> and I was definitely the first one out. And it was one of those moments that could have been put into one of those Southwest airline commercials. <laughs> you know where they say, want to get away? <laughs> I really wanted to get away. And you know, we've all been there at those moments where we want to get away. Maybe it's happened to you recently when you've gone to the gas pump and you've looked at the price. Want to get away? Yeah, but not too far. I can't afford it. <laughs> 
Or this week, if you're a baseball fan, maybe you saw the All-Star game. Dan Ugla playing second base for the National League. The game was tied three errors. A record for a second baseman in the National League lost the game by one run. The whole time I saw him there with those television cameras on him, I thought of that commercial. Here he was before a national audience, an international audience, making three errors. Want to get away? We've all been there. Uh, maybe it's been a little more serious for some of you. Maybe it's been at a restaurant and your partner has asked you to dinner and you're looking forward to a quiet evening and you get there and the wine's been poured. And then your partner says, you know, um, I've been wanting to talk to you about something. <laughs> this isn't quite working out like I'd hoped and maybe we need to think about moving in a different direction and there you are want to get away want to get away or you get called into the office the boss pulls out the sheet with all the figures and says you know um, we're, we're gonna have to do some some cutting back and um, I'm sorry and you would just love to be anywhere else at that moment want to get away when you want to get away how far is far enough Dallas New Orleans maybe Albuquerque <laughs> Albuquerque sounds like a good place if you want to get away our scripture reader today described a person going through this kind of feeling Jacob he'd come to a place in his life where he shared that feeling that so many of us experience at one time or another he was at a place in his life where he wanted to get away in fact he had to get away he'd gotten himself into an incredibly difficult situation he had lied and deceived his parents Furthermore, he'd stolen the birthright of his brother Esau. And so the reality is, he had to get away. He was in trouble. His lies and deception, the web that he had woven in his life was catching up with him. He was caught in it. So he heads on a journey, a journey to get away from his past. He'd only gotten about as far as Beaumont when uh, he was literally exhausted who knows what the root of the exhaustion was maybe it was a combination of pure fatigue or maybe it was the exhaustion of the guilt he was carrying you know it's difficult to live your life with a conscience that is constantly being compromised and maybe he was thinking for a moment about how he deceived his parents and how he deceived his brother one way or another he was so exhausted that even a rock felt good for a pillow and scripture describes how he placed his head on that rock and went to sleep now given the condition of his life given what was going on you would think that this would be a moment where he would have the worst nightmares of his life you know one of those dreams where you're trying to get away and you're running as fast as you can but you're not moving or maybe that dream that nightmare where his brother would be standing over him with a knife saying you've cheated me for the last time it was time for a nightmare 
a time for him to see visions of demons and distress and fear. But in this story, at this moment of exhaustion and guilt and pain and deception, we see a window into God. Because what happens is that at this moment, while Jacob's trying to get away, he has the best dream of his life. In this dream, there is this ladder that's connecting earth and heaven. And angels are going up and down the ladder. Some translations refer to it more as a staircase or a ramp. What we do know for sure is that it's an image of heaven and earth connecting. It's a prelude to the prayer that Jesus taught us when Jesus says, God, your will be done on heaven as it is in earth. In a compartmentalized world, it's a holistic view of heaven and earth coming together in a beautiful and powerful way. At the moment when Jacob is most exhausted and feeling the greatest shame and the greatest guilt and the greatest fear, at the moment when he realizes that he has been giving everyone around him hell, God gives him heaven. At the moment he's been most deceptive, God gives him the greatest truth. The truth of presence and love and that connection. It's a beautiful image. And then before the dream is even finished, the God who some would consider a God of judgment and wrath proves to be an entirely different God. For this is what God says. Oh, Jacob, my own, my beloved, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and Sarah, your parents. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Oh, who you are, your impact, it will reach around the world. Your limited life, oh, it's going to be expanded. All the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. You who have been called shameful. You who have been called deceiver. You who have been called liar. You who have been called sinner. You will be blessed. All the world blessed in you and through you. Oh, my beloved, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. What a beautiful vision. One who was so untrustworthy, opened to trust. One who seemed so unloving, receiving love. Oh, Jacob still had a lot of growing up to do, a lot of maturing to do. He'd made some bad choices and developed some bad habits. And he'd make some more mistakes as he journeyed from this place. 
But one thing he knew from this moment on, God was with him and would never leave him. One who had been called shameful and sinner was now called whole and blessed and received and abundant and peaceful and joyful and alive. Transformation right there. Heaven and earth coming together in his heart. And that same possibility and opportunity is right here. That's just what God wants to do. God wants to give all of us whether we're giving hell or living in hell, a taste of heaven. In fact, more than a taste. God wants heaven to be present in our heart and in our lives. Heaven is not something we wait for. It's the place we're called to dwell today. It's the land on which we walk and the place where we stand. Heaven is where we live. What kind of God is that? And what kind of people are we? Beautiful people. Imperfect people but beautiful people, beloved by God. How amazing is that? So the question that comes through today is, will you trust? (laughs) Will we trust a God like this? We saw how it began to work in Jacob's life. Will it work in our life? Maybe some are saying, Dwayne, I want to trust, but you know, that's going to have to wait for a while until I can get to a different place in my life. I mean, I have really messed some things up. I'm really in a bad situation right now. I'm in a really, really bad place right now. And so the trust thing is going to have to come later. But what kind of place was Jacob in? (laughs) He was in a really bad place. And yet that place is the place where God began to work and rebuild his life. In fact, one little detail that's really interesting in this scripture is that the place where Jacob just happened to land for the night is the same place where his grandparents landed on their way into the promised land. It's a place where they found rest and a place where they found direction and in fact a place where they'd made an altar to God. Jacob didn't know this. The place that for him was a place called exhaustion and fear and pain and shame was for them a place called providence. Jacob was sleeping on providence and in providence and not even realizing it. Sometimes all we see is the difficulty of our situation not realizing that God is really thick in it. What may appear to be a coincidence in today's scripture is actually a God incidence because he was in a place where God had already worked and would continue to work. So if you're in a bad place today, the truth is you're in a good place because God's got something to work with in ways beyond what we might perceive or conceive. Or maybe when I ask that question, will I trust? Perhaps you're saying, you know, I want to trust, but um, I don't think I deserve it. Um, even now, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here with my partner in church and my partner doesn't know what I've been doing, how I've been breaking the commitment we agreed upon. And I feel like a hypocrite today sitting right here in church. And uh, I, I don't think I deserve anything from God until I get some of this figured out. Or uh, maybe you're saying, you know, how can I trust God knowing that I'm doing what I'm doing at work? Yeah, I've I've figured out a way to kind of help myself to some of the money. 
Now, I've not been caught yet, but, you know, this is eating me up from the inside out. Uh, you know, why would God want anything to do with me? I mean, I don't want anything to do with myself. I don't know how I got into this. I don't know how this has happened in my life, but I don't deserve to be loved by God or to receive this trust. Again, look at who Jacob is. A fugitive. He was wanted. They were after him. He had made bad choices. He had deceived and he had lied and people were after him. He was getting caught. But look at what comes through in this scripture. God's unconditional love was flowing into his heart directly from heaven. What God is saying is, I love you as you are. Now we're going to grow from there. When you deepen your relationship with me, I'll move you to new places and places of greater integrity. But, but my love is with you now. You deserve my love now. Why would I create you and then say you don't deserve my love and the life I give you? What kind of God do you think I am? Or maybe when you hear that question, well, I trust, maybe you find yourself thinking, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm growing in my trust because God and I, we have something worked out. I I've made some agreements with God. I, I told God that if God would take care of my bad cholesterol, I would promise to only eat broccoli and cauliflower for the next week. I would give up bacon. God, if you just take care of this cholesterol thing going on. It, it, it's easy for us to begin bargaining on the trust issue. So we think we're, 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 we're working it out. We've got this little deal worked out with God. Well, again, I said Jacob had some growing up to do. In the section just after what's printed in your bulletin, beginning with Genesis 28, verse 20, here's how Jacob does this bargaining thing. I love this. It's so like us. Jacob says, if God stands by me and protects me on this journey on which I'm getting out, if God keeps me in food and clothing, and if God brings me back in one piece to my parents' house, then this God will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a memorial pillar will mark this as a place where God lives. And everything God gives me, I'll return a tenth back to God. Jacob had all this if stuff going on. Now how audacious is that as if he was really in a place to bargain given the way he'd been interacting with his family? The reality here is we can trust God without bargaining. God does not play let's make a deal. God plays let's make a life and let's make it together in wholeness, in love, and in trust. Oh, I love this idea of living in a place called trust. Scripture says that Jacob named that place Bethel, which means house of God. That's who each one of us is. We carry God in us. We are the place where God dwells. And when God dwells in us, our whole life begins to change. And we do begin to make new choices, choices that have integrity. We make better decisions. I love how Ayan Levanzant describes this place called trust. Listen to these beautiful words from the book, One Day My Soul Just Opened Up. 
Trust God to provide for you everything you need to live fully, peacefully, and abundantly. This does not mean that people will always do, do the divine or the right thing. Yet remember, you're not putting your trust in people. You're trusting that God will manifest through people. It does not mean that your car will not be stolen or your purse snatched. It does mean that you can trust that you will not be ultimately harmed and that whatever you lose will be replaced. Trust God to provide you with the wisdom to make the right decision under every circumstance you encounter. If you want to know what to do, ask quietly in your heart. Once you do, you will be guided. You will be protected. It, will, it may not always seem like what you are doing at the moment is the right thing. People and conditions may challenge you. You may begin to doubt yourself. It is in these moments that you are called upon to activate your trust in God. Rely on what your heart tells you is true. Do not be afraid to see the truth in the situation and act accordingly. Trusting God has one very important aspect that is sure to have a positive impact on your life. Learning to recognize and interpret the signs and signals you will surely receive will teach you to trust yourself. Mm. Part of what I love about that is it reminds us that trust is something we experience in the now. When we keep looking back to the past, we're going to see those regrets and those choices and it's going to eat away at our trust in the future it's, it's too much whether it's a great vision or an illusion we're not there yet but trust it, it happens in the present the present is the place where heaven and earth meet as I was thinking about these thoughts a, a person's image came to me who I knew many years ago her name was Jonesy and she was in her 80s and she was part of the, of the Nazarene church that I worshipped in in the Seattle area where my dad pastored and when I first met Jonesy I thought this woman cannot be real I mean here she was like 80 years old but she was like this bulldozer of praise going through the church I mean she would go through the gathering place they didn't have a gathering place but the meeting place they had there the community place and she would be hugging and shaking hands and just lifting everybody up that she saw she had this glow about her and I thought you know no one can be that positive and that enthusiastic now I'd been reading a lot of the great theologians, I'd been reading Tillich and Karl Barth and a lot of the great thinkers and you know she blew a lot of holes in, in my theology because she just lived it. I mean everywhere she went she glowed. In the Nazarene church we had this thing called testimony time. It was usually on Sunday nights and dad would say, does anyone tonight have a testimony? And Jonesy, she would be the first one up, jumping out of her seat like a rocket. And she would say, yes, I have a testimony. God is so good, and I trust God so much. And her testimony would always be brief, but it would be so powerful and so positive. And again, I sat there with my arm crossed and said, you know, no one, no one can feel that good every day, all the time, and be that enthusiastic one day I was driving into the parking lot and I saw that the swing set and the children's playground was going. It was during school hours, so I thought, well, what kid is playing hooky today? Got a little closer, 
And there was Jonesy in her 80s, just swinging as high as she could. Just swinging, just enjoying life there by herself, just swinging before God. And finally, I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to have to see if she is really real. I mean, maybe she's so positive because she has some big, you know, inheritance or something and all her needs are taken care of or, you know, maybe there's some special things about her life. And uh, I just went, I said, Jonesy, you're swinging. And she said, oh, yes, I've loved to swing ever since I was a little girl. I just love swinging. I just love God so much. It's so beautiful and the sky is so bright. And then she invited me to dinner, and I thought, okay, now I'm going to really, really get the scoop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really see what, a, what an easy life she has and how she's really never experienced some of the difficult stuff. And, and we sat down for dinner, and Jonesy began to talk about um, the life she had lived, um, the abusive husband, um, the alcoholism that ran in her family, uh, her children, death in her family, death of a child, the many things she dreamed that had not happened. And yet, everything that she said about her life, she shared from a place of trust and love, and there was a joy undergirding every word. I said, how do you keep so positive? How did you keep this throughout your life? And she talked about how to support the family. She worked at the Boeing factory there in the Seattle area. And Every morning she had to be there at 5.30 in the morning. She got up at 3 a.m. every day to spend time with God. She said, I've been able to stay joyful throughout my life because I spend time with God. And when you spend time with God, how can you help but be happy and know that things are going to work out and know that you can trust? In my mind, I thought, you know, she must have an inheritance or something. I learned that she was actually on a fixed income, a low fixed income. And yet, she looked like she owned the entire world and all of heaven. That's the look she had on her face, and the truth is she did. There came a time where I was called to move from the Seattle area, and I had an old 70s vintage Chevy hatchback with one headlight. Everything that I owned was pretty much in that car, in the back seat, in the trunk. And before I left, we had a conversation, and she took my hand, and she had this amazing smile on her face, and there was light coming out of her eyes, and she took my hand, and uh, she pressed a $100 bill in my hand, which was probably about a fourth of her income for that month. And um, I said, Jonesy, I can't take this. You need this. And she just said, um, she said, Dwayne, um, you're a lot younger than I am and, and you're going to meet a lot of people and you're going to do a lot of good in the world. And um, she said, I want you to take this. And she said, the only thing I ask is that you always remember that God is good. Jonesy didn't have a lot of ego, so she'd probably be embarrassed if she knew I was talking about her today. She passed within months of, of our goodbye. But I think one thing she'd say is, Dwayne, what were you thinking? Why would you have a sermon called, Will I Trust? What a stupid question. <laughs> of course we'll trust. It's not, will I trust? She would say, it is, I trust will trust. Amen and amen.